You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. This is the season of Advent, the season of Hanukkah, the season of solstice, when we turn our awareness to the passage of time, not regular time, but time marked by the anticipation of miracles. When I was a child, my family marked this passage of time with an Advent wreath, this Advent wreath. As a matter of fact, I was so happy to find it in a box in my basement yesterday. Though my theology has changed since my Catholic upbringing, tender memories remain. For those who aren't familiar with how Advent wreaths work, here's how they work. Each week, for the four weeks before Christmas, a candle is lit. The first represents hope, the second represents peace, then joy, then love. We know these things exist in this world, but Advent calls us to pay attention to them in intentional ways. To first light a candle of hope because we know despair. Then a candle of peace for we know hatred. A candle of joy for we know sorrow. And a candle of love for we know heartache. And then it's Christmas, and we light the center candle, reminding us that divinity has already been born into this world, that every child is born whole and holy. Advent doesn't change reality, but it reminds us to pay attention to it. We slow down, we light candles, we rest our hearts even as we prepare for new possibilities. In his poem, A Little Room in My Heart, Unitarian Universalist minister and poet Bob Janice Dillon writes, Lord, I have prepared a little room in my heart for the child who is the light of the world. Nothing fancy, there's hay everywhere, I'm afraid. And beneath the mess, the stone hasn't been polished at all, you know, I had always intended to make this place more hospitable, but perhaps it will suffice. I will light a candle tonight within my heart and await her coming. I have hung a sign on my heart in paper and crayon, open. There is room for laughter here, I swear. There is comfort in the food trough. Meanwhile, by this this cradle of darkness, I will carry the weight lightly and name it as holy. Here in this sanctuary, we come together to pay attention to the fullness of life. We know despair and hope, hatred and peace, sorrow and joy, heartache and love. Here we have signs hung on our hearts in paper and crayon, open. 
There is room for laughter here. There is comfort to be found. Together we carry the waiting lightly, and we name it as holy. Come, let us worship together. I, I know I said that this was going to be a family-friendly homily. And so right at the top here, I want to define some of the bigger words that snuck in when I was writing. I, I probably could have used smaller words, but one of the things that you will learn about me is that I am a word nerd and I love language. And I want to invite everyone into that word nerdiness with me. The other thing is that I believe that we can work with and grapple with big ideas when we gather together. And that we can do so in a way that speaks not only to our minds, but also to our bodies, to our souls. And so these big ideas, these big words, they matter to me. And so here are some of the words that might not be instantly familiar, some of the words that might not be understandable, and what they mean. And to the younger ones in the sanctuary right now, what I want to say to you is this. If you have any questions about any of this, please come and talk to me. Um, later today, next week, next month, when, whenever it is that questions come up, um, I would love to talk with you about any of your religious and theological questions that come up. So first up, first up, transreligious, all right? Transreligious is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's a word that means uh, across or between, in this case, religions. And this will make more sense, perhaps, when I bring up the second term that I want to define, which is symbol, by which I mean something that points towards something larger than itself. So, for example... Think of a candy cane, all right? Think of a candy cane. And when you think of a candy cane, many of us will think of Christmas and Christmas trees and loads of other things beyond that one little candy cane. So that's a symbol, right? So several years ago, I was driving home one winter evening, right around this time of year, I might have been coming home from the gym or from class at seminary. It doesn't really matter. What matters, what matters is that I was pretty grumpy. Does anybody else get grumpy? Yeah. Okay, good. I'm, 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 I see double hands up in the back. Yeah, I'm so glad I'm not alone. So grumpiness is not all that unusual for me around the holidays. I'm not exactly a Grinch, far from it, far from it. It's just that growing up in a family that was Hindu and Muslim, I didn't grow up with Christmas the way that many other people did. And if you haven't noticed, after we turn the corner of Thanksgiving, Christmas in this society is everywhere. 
This grumpiness was complicated by the fact that the family I married into celebrated Christmas, and in fact, I was returning home to a house in which stood a rather merrily decorated Christmas tree. And really, really, I think what I didn't understand is how we would celebrate Christmas. I didn't feel at home in the traditions. Don't get me wrong, Christmas was part of my life growing up. That's another rather complicated story, but it was part of my life. I know the words to our Christmas carols about as well as anyone else in this sanctuary. It, <laughs> I didn't mean that as a joke. <laughs> it just didn't feel like home. It just didn't feel like home. Those traditions didn't feel like a place where I was at ease in my skin or where my skin, my brown skin, was welcome. So I was grumpy. And then as I turned the corner onto my street, as I drove past blocks of houses with Christmas lights, I had this sudden, deep in my guts, knowing differently. This deep in my guts feeling of something shifting in a big way, and I said to myself, look at all those lovely Diwali lights. Now, if you're in the neighboring faiths class here, you might have heard about Diwali when you visited the Hindu temple a couple, uh, couple of months ago. Diwali is a Hindu festival that tends to happen in the late fall, so not too much before where we are in time right now. It's a celebration that is a celebration of light over dark, good over evil, knowledge over ignorance, and growing up, it was a big deal in my house. We'd light tons of oil lamps, candles. There would be food, garlands of flowers, singing, and friends and family. Does this sound familiar? The valley felt like home to me. And so in that moment, in my car on Portland Avenue in St. Paul, I had what I can only now understand as a trans-religious moment a moment in which my heart and my mind and my body, my whole being, transformed that symbol, those symbols of light from these separate faiths, Hinduism and Christianity, transformed those symbols and broadened them so that there was more room, so that there was more space for me in both of these religious homes. In other words, I saw for the first time that the candle in the window and the paper crayon sign saying open were also an oil lamp and a garland of flowers for me saying come in. I have never been able to see holiday lights differently since. They make more room for me every time. And I feel at home now in both places. And so, this has me wondering, in this religiously diverse congregation, in this culturally diverse congregation, in this gender diverse congregation, in this ethnically diverse congregation, in this class diverse congregation, if some of this work, this trans-religious work, is the kind of movement that we're called to, I also know 
that this is a really complicated question for us for a lot of reasons. Some traditions don't want to be bridged like that. Others will feel, perhaps rightly, that we are taking things that are not ours to take. None of this is simple. And in my heart, I believe that doing this work ethically and responsibly, that trying is worth it. A couple of weeks ago, I had the good fortune to attend a conference on radical welcome in UU congregations. We were talking about welcome as it relates to culture with a bit of an emphasis on gender and race and class and one of the presenters said something that really stuck with me. They said that even after you take away all the things that currently divide us, after you take away race and class and gender and all of that, Unitarian Universalism is still a cross-cultural commitment. They said that when you sit down in a pew on a Sunday in a UU church in this country, the person sitting next to you almost certainly has a different understanding of God, religion, ritual, meaning, and purpose than you do. When you sit down in a pew on a Sunday morning, the person sitting next to you has a different understanding of God, of religion, of ritual, of meaning, of purpose than you do. And so sitting down in a pew and having a conversation is an experience of crossing cultures, or at least it can be. Which means that sitting down and talking with the person next to you is an experience of being a guest in someone else's home of inviting them to be a guest in yours. Can you imagine this? This is one of the reasons that I am so excited that the younger members of our congregation are here with us today, because I see in you all a whole lot of skills for connecting across cultures that I did not see in my peers or myself when I was your age. And I grew up crossing cultures all the time, and I did not see those skills in myself when I was your age. Which is not to say that you all are responsible and are the hope of the future. If you're anything like me, you really dislike it when adults do that and put that on you. I am not saying that this is your work. This is our work to do. What I'm saying is that there are things that I want to learn from you. I am excited to learn from you and the things that you know about some things that I think we are trying to do. But imagine this with me. Imagine this with me, because you know we cannot make this real if we don't imagine it first. So just imagine it. Each person, each person, an opportunity to light a candle an oil lamp in our hearts, in our hearths. Each person an opportunity to receive and welcome in the light that they bring. Each person a world to enter as a guest. Each person a place to find home. May it be so, and amen.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.